Live from the Business Radio X studio inside Renaissance Bank, the bank that specializes in understanding you. It's time for North Fulton Business Radio. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of North Fulton Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and folks, we are broadcasting from inside Renaissance Bank in beautiful Alpharetta. And if you're looking for a bank that's not going to embarrass you on Monday morning, and if you've, if you've been following the banking industry this year in 2023, you know what I mean by that. Uh, you know, these banks seem to fail over the weekend and get taken over on Monday morning. Well, you're not going to find that at Renaissance Bank because they've got a rock-solid balance sheet, and they've also got a bank that's built on service. Uh, I know that because of the work that I do with clients that uh, – uh, happens at Renaissance Bank, and uh, they deliver their services in a highly personal way. They answer their own phone. Um, if you're looking for a bank like that and you're tired of that mega bank experience, and you know what I mean by that if you're at one of those banks, um, then go to renaissancebank.com, find one of their local offices, and give them a call. And I think you'll be delighted that you did. Renaissance Bank, understanding you member FDIC. And now I want to welcome Carol Townsend. Carol is an author, journalist, speaker, and uh, we're here to talk about making a career change, right? We are. Yeah. Carol, great to have you. Let's talk a little bit about you, though, first and, and your journey and how you're serving folks out there. So what are you up to today? Oh, great. Thanks. Um, well, for many years, as many of us are, I was in the corporate world. Um, I was in marketing mm -hmm. and um, gosh, for the 20 years that I was in corporate America, I found myself writing, writing sales collateral, marketing materials. And at the ripe and bright old age of 40, I thought it's now or never. I've loved to write since I was a little girl. Um, my career always led me to positions in which I was writing. And I thought if I don't do this now, I couldn't bear the thought of someday being on my deathbed and wondering what if. Mm -hmm. So with the support of my amazing husband, and believe me, that's required, um, I, I walked away from a wonderful position and um, started my writing career. Mm. Started as a newspaper journalist and got my chops there. And in fact, this is embarrassing. I'm going to show my age, but I was one of the first bloggers that um, was affiliated with the newspaper. So basically writing a column that appears online. And mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Um, and then I got brave enough to write my first book. And um, I have since, I've written six books. And wow. And a couple have won awards. A couple have some very cool histories. And mm -hmm. uh, that's where we are now. I'm, number seven is currently cooking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a pun or is this a, is this, is this food related? Or oh, no, is this, no, it's okay. a pun. It's oh, a pun. Okay. Okay. Got it. We'll have to hear more about that. But um, what, what, talk about what really drew you into writing from a very early age. Why? You know, I, I think, I think we're all born with certain proclivities, certain mm -hmm. gifts. And from the age, honestly, I can say from the age that I was old enough to hold a pencil mm -hmm. and write words, I have been fascinated by the power and the beauty of the written words specifically. Mm -hmm. Words are extremely powerful. Mm. And um, many years later, I can say today I'm even more passionate about that because I believe we are losing um, the beauty of the language that we speak and that we write. We, we text, we email, we um, abbreviate everything and make it quick and easy. And I fear that we're losing the beauty and the power of the language. So not only do I love writing, I love working with aspiring writers mm -hmm. to help them keep this language and this art alive. Mm -hmm. So you talked about um, leaving corporate and I guess having the courage to do that, which obviously took courage because when you're talking about leaving a uh, – you know, a secure marketing job like you were talking about and going into writing, um, that sounds pretty risky, right? Um, for a lot of people. Terribly. Yeah. yeah. Very and scary. Yeah. So what, what, why did you feel 
maybe the answer is you didn't feel confident about how it was going to work out, but that, that's a valid answer too. But what made you confident enough to make that leap? I, I think it was a combination of several things. First, I think um, each of us reaches an age, whatever that may be, where we understand um, this thing that we call time is not infinite. Mm-hmm. And you, you urgently feel it's now or never. Um, either stop dreaming about it and just continue. I didn't hate my job, but I didn't love my job. I was not passionate about my job. And I could have continued. It was a great position, lucrative career. Mm-hmm. Um, but I truly had that gnawing fear of being at the end of my life and never having pursued my passion, which is the written word. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I I felt like I had to put my money where my mouth was because I have always tried to teach our children the failure is not in trying and not succeeding. The failure is in never having tried at all. Mm. So, you know, you you put all that together. And again, I, I had the complete support of my husband. I have to say that was that probably was the deciding factor. And your husband's name is? Is Mark. Mark Okay, shout out to Mark. Shout out to Mark. He's awesome. His nickname is Superman. (laughs) Okay, Superman. Yeah, congratulations on that good work you did for your your bride. You know, when I lacked the confidence and belief, he filled in where I lacked. Mm -hmm. And um, that made a huge difference. Yeah. So um, as terrifying as it was, I also feel, I believe strongly that when you are on the right path, things happen, doors open, maybe some close, but they guide you on that path. Mm. And in my ignorance, um, in this world of writing, I thought, you know, a great place to start is the newspaper. So I didn't know that it doesn't work this way, but I picked up the phone. I called the Gwinnett Daily Post and I said, hey, do y'all need any reporters? And assuming they would hang up and say um, no, but they said, yeah, we sure do come down and take an AP writing test. And I didn't know what that was. So studied up on that real quick and yeah. went down there and got the job and just, just took off from there. So things have changed though since then, mm-hmm. right? Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for, because there are a lot of people out there that are, it strikes me just they're maybe would like to write as a career Mm-hmm. And so what does that look like today versus when you entered the industry? Oh goodness. This, this business has changed to the point that if all you knew about the business of writing was what was in place 20 years ago, you wouldn't recognize it. And um, I tend to see that as an advantage because those of us who may be very skilled and talented writers, um, it was such a long shot to be published. I mean, it it was a cliquish, elitist industry. Um, You really had to know somebody to be published. Mm -hmm. Rejection is the name of the game. Trust me, when you're going with traditional publishing, you've got these big houses and they've gobbled each other up till I think we're down to maybe four or five major houses in New York. So what are your odds? You've got millions of people writing books of all genres and they're flooding these four or five houses with manuscripts. Trust me, they get tossed in the trash. You've got to go through channels, which may include an agent may not, but the world has opened up. We now have self publishing. We have niche publishing. And if, if you want to get your book in the hands of readers, you've, you've got to figure this stuff out. You've got to learn it. There is a way. And um, that's one of the things I I love in my writing workshops. I do love to talk about technique and skill and um, different things that we can use to better our voice. Um, But you got to talk turkey at some point. Yes, I wanted to get my book published. I really wanted to have it in the hands of readers. And you got to figure out that that's the business of writing. Yeah. Very different from the art of writing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, before we t- get to get too deep into the issue of writing a book, do you recommend that people that follow this path start with 
on the journalism side. And today that looks like, like writing your own blog, right. Or writing Mm -hmm. to, to, uh, I mean, there's news, there's the whole newsletter industry now, right. Absolutely. Where you, you can really be your own entrepreneur right out of the box. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you recommend going that route before you start that book or what, what, what what do you think? Um, no, that's just the path that I chose. There are Mm -hmm. so many options available Mm -hmm. right now, um, for people who, aspire to be writers mm-hmm. um, and there's a whole business that's built around that book you've got speaking you've got promotion you've got uh podcast mm-hmm. you've got all of these wonderful things that that spin off from the central career of writing so that's the path that i chose um but no i i i encourage people if you've got that book in your head that you know you want to get on paper um, this sounds counterintuitive because our words are our babies, but you just, you get it on paper. You can't edit it. You can't sell it. You can't publish it. You can't do anything with it until those words are committed. I call it paper screen, you know, yep. but you got to get the words down before you can do anything with them. And we procrastinate. It's like a big monster sitting on our shoulder. It's a big thing to tackle. It's a great idea, but the mechanics and the process are very different. So I say just roll up your sleeves and do it. Carve out time, make it sacred, and start writing your book. So how do you do it? I mean, I know that's a, <laughs> uh, a real easy question for me to answer that has a, or ask that has a lot of different answers to it, uh, depending on the individual. But how do you, for a first time, someone that has not written a book, what is that experience like versus what people think it's going to be? Maybe oh, is the way to ask yeah, the question. Yeah, yeah. It's um, extremely time consuming. Mm-hmm. If you are part of a family, I, I will tell you one of the hardest things for me, we had four children and um, when I started writing, they were all middle school. So not low maintenance, little people. I mean, they needed mom all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing you must do is make the time to do it because 10,000 things will scream for your attention Mm -hmm. and writing is going to sit there on the back burner. Set aside the time. Um, If all you can do in the beginning is just make notes of uh, storylines, story ideas, make notes of a character that you think would be interesting. If you are writing nonfiction, start your research, keep great notes. And when in my experience, the more a lot of my books are based on a great deal of research. So as you're researching or as you're creating your characters and thinking about your storyline, the story almost seems to start forming itself. It's really, to me, a magical process. So mm. whether it's note-taking, I, I strongly urge people, um, as much as we all hate outlining, I hate it. My agent insisted he would not represent my books until I started outlining <laughs> because it keeps us from chasing rabbits and, you mm-hmm. know, getting on weird topics that have nothing to do with the story we want to tell. So the first two, well, set aside the time, make notes of your thoughts, however you keep notes, and then start thinking about the structure of your book, the order in which you want to tell the story. And that is a very firm foundation for finally writing that book. You have written, Carol, both fiction and nonfiction, correct? Uh, yeah. Well, nonfiction is my, I mean, historical fiction, my apologies, is my seventh. Most of my books are um, nonfiction. Oh, okay. Okay. The early couple were Southern humor, so fiction. Gotcha. So uh, do you recommend that, that, I mean, you've crossed a lot of genres mm-hmm. here. Do you recommend that? I mean, how do you recommend that people choose that, right? I mean, in, is, is, should they, should they? I mean, are you maybe the exception to what the rule ought to be? Because you, you're, you're just, you're pretty multi-talented when it comes to crossing these different genres. How, what do you recommend for others? I recommend you pick a genre and stick with it. Okay. I, I really am the exception to the rule through no talent or skill of Have my own. Have you got own. writing ADHD or what? You what, know what? <laughs> it's kind of like squirrel, squirrel. Oh, that fascinates. <laughs> well, I, I'm kidding because you can't have that with a book, right? I mean, a book. You can. Yeah. You've, once you're in it, you're in oh, it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I did. I went from, you know, kind of lighthearted Southern humor. Uh-huh. Um, and then when I wrote my, my, 
actually my third book, I believe it was my third. Yeah. I wrote about NASCAR. Don't ask me why I mm-hmm. have no knowledge of NASCAR, but our youngest went off to college and I was really experiencing the lonely mama syndrome. And mm-hmm. I knew I had to immerse myself in a project that would keep my mind occupied. So mm. I used to to laugh when I was in the corporate world and I would travel from Northeast, out West. And when people heard I was from Georgia, invariably they would ask me who my favorite driver is. And I didn't know what they were talking about. And finally someone explained to me they're referring to NASCAR. Mm. You know, drivers are like ball players, And I didn't know any of this. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be funny and interesting if I just took off and figured out NASCAR. So my poor husband took off with me for a year. We followed the NASCAR circuit. Really? <laughs> we did. And I mean, drivers, track managers, owners were so open and welcoming. And I ended up writing what I hope is kind of a funny book, but it's also packed with amazing facts that I had no no idea even existed, how these cars are made, how much they cost, um, the way it works in races. You know, they replace tires umpteen times like cheap flip-flops. It's, I learned all of this, mm-hmm. and I wrote a book about it. Very odd, I know. And then I switched to true crime with uh, Blood in the Soil about the Larry Flint shooting in Lawrenceville. Oh, wow. Fascinating book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what a story that uh-huh. that was, that is and was. Um, so, I want to get back to NASCAR though for just a second. <laughs> so, was this book a um, like you were documenting what you learned about NASCAR? And it, I mean, it, you brought fresh eyes to it, I guess. Oh is, yes, right. That that maybe <laughs> did not exist for that was your niche, really, right? Yeah, just taking a look at something. I. I I've always been an observer of people and phenomenon events and NASCAR is a phenomenon unto itself. Um, Dedicated fans, crazy money in that sport. um, And it truly is a sport. I didn't understand that until I wrote the book. Um, But yeah, to take, to take a look at something that I've never experienced and seen before and to get down to the nitty gritty and explain it to people, but do it in a way that keeps them engaged. And it got amazing reviews from NASCAR aficionados, from sports journalists. I mean, it was well received mm-hmm. and I was thrilled with that because mm-hmm. it was such a fun project. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So you wrote probably the, I don't know, 150th book on NASCAR. There are a lot of books written on oh, NASCAR. Gosh, yeah. And how? what I'm getting at is you brought your own unique take to that. And I think that would scare a lot of people off when they see all these books that have been written on NASCAR. And it's like the, their first thought is, well, what can I say about NASCAR that's unique, right? right, right. And you didn't obviously didn't look at it that way. Mm-mm. You know, what do I bring to the table? I was a 50-something suburban mom who didn't know the first thing about NASCAR. And when I research any book, I, I truly immerse myself in the topic. So I, I went around the track at Atlanta Motor Speedway at 165 miles an hour, three weeks out of knee surgery. <laughs> and as ignorant as I was, on the way down, my husband said, you know, the, the doors don't open on those cars. And I said, oh, stop. Just trying to scare me. And he goes, Carol, no, the doors don't open on those cars. Right. So three weeks out of knee surgery when things aren't bending too well. These poor guys are shoving me in the window of this car. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And, but it it was thrilling. Yeah. I was terrified. Were you? But it was thrilling. But how, I don't know how to write about something Mm -hmm. if I haven't done it. Mm. So it puts you into all kinds of crazy, unique situations, but you know, what a fun way to live life. So what are people going to learn about NASCAR that they don't already know? Um, hopefully everything that I learned, the work, the money, um, there are college careers up in the North Carolina area anyway, that are geared toward people working in these garages. And these garages are not garages like you and I have. These are huge places with floors you could eat off of. So shiny, Mm -hmm. um, just duplicates of the same cars. You know, when they go to a race, they don't just take one car. They have a spare up in the top of the truck and all the spare parts that you could possibly need. And just the engineering, the technology, 
um, the passion that these people have. And this, you know, mechanics, poor guys crawling around on the ground with me showing the the underside of the car so they can explain why they're different mm-hmm. from a car you're going to buy, you know, from GM and drive back and forth to work. I, I was fascinated. And I don't know the first thing about cars, mm-hmm. but the way they explained it to me um, fascinated me. And I will say that everybody from the top down was so welcoming and so gracious. We had access that my friends who are NASCAR fans just, just couldn't believe they were just very open and welcoming. And how did you get that access? I mean, is that, is that was that something By that being a poor pitiful 52 year old mom saying, gee, I'm writing this book. Could you help me out? That's all it took. That's all you that did. That is all it took. Wow. Yeah. A couple uh, of boxes of cigars, but you know, most of the time it was just graciousness and kindness. <laughs> 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 well, again, that's that's a place where some people would 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 get hung up on, right? Mm-hmm. Is not having the courage to just make the ask, right? Yeah, and, and I think being a reporter, yeah, helped me a great deal with that, and yeah. being in marketing, but um, certainly being a reporter when yeah. you're dealing with all kinds of people on all kinds of topics, you just get over that shyness, that little speed bump that says, "Eh, maybe I shouldn't say that," and um. I, I tell people all the time when you start pursuing what you love, the problem is not going to be the no's that you get. It's going to be the number of yeses. What do you do with them? Say, so, I think I know what you mean, but just draw that out just a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So, um, oh, let's use writing because that's basically all I know. Um, you write a book and good for you. That's great. And it's going to sit there collecting dust unless people know that you've written it, know what it's about, know something about you. So I tell students in my workshops, the writing is the fun part, and it's very hard to, to finish it and finish it the way you want it to read. Then the work starts, because you've got to get out there on TV, radio, podcast, mm-hmm. print, magazines. You have to tell people about the book. Mm-hmm. And many of us are introverts who are writers, and it's horribly painful horribly painful to get in front of a TV camera or, or, you know, radio terrified me. I love it now, but it's all scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so inevitably people say, well, you know, how do you get these gigs? How do you, you have these appearances and have people calling you for interviews? Yes, you can pay a publicist, but you know what the publicist does exactly what you would do. Pick up the phone, call the TV station. Hey, um, For example, Atlanta and company, I was on that show simply because I picked up the phone, asked for the producer and said, do you have any interest in talking to me? Mm -hmm. And they're always looking for interesting guests, somebody that talks about something a little different. Um, So the problem I tell people to expect is be prepared for the number of yeses you will get because it can't, it's, it's scary when you first start out, if you're not used to doing that kind of work, you know. TV studios and cameras and interviews and am I going to, you know, stumble over my words? It's all very intimidating. So that's what I mean when I say it's not the number of no's you get. It's going to be the number of yeses. But that, again, is an indicator that you're on the right path. Yeah. And it, if, if you don't mind, I mean, I get tons of pitches all the time. And I came to come on the shows that I host and the shows that we produce that others, um, we help others uh, um, air. I can't believe some of the some of the uh, pitches that come from uh, publicists and uh, marketing people that are completely uninformed about the podcast, mm-hmm. or you know, and and so the point of it is, I'm I'm underlining what you said. It's real easy to do it, do that yourself. Because you can do that homework yourself, and your brand is represented by you, absolutely, not someone else who really is, you know, at the end of the day, doesn't really care. Right. You know, you 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 can pay somebody to throw a very wide net and see what they catch, or yeah. you can do a little bit of homework yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows you and your work better than you, and. It truly is a matter of a phone call or these days, my gosh, sometimes just an email. Yeah. And then you get a yes. Yeah. And then it's on. There you go. Okay. So we talked about your NASCAR book, which the name of it is? 
Magnolia sweet tea and exhaust. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a different angle. <laughs> I, I just, wow, I just love that. Um, let's. You wrote a book about Peachtree Corners, Georgia. I did. I okay. Sure did. Yep. So why? Well, the city approached me and asked me if I would document their history. Um, they were coming up on the, I believe at the time it was the 11th anniversary of the city's being formed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love research. My gosh, I love research. I love history, especially Southern history. So I jumped at that chance. That's an honor mm-hmm. when someone actually commissions a work for you to write. And I will say that is the only city in Gwinnett County that I did not cover for the paper. So I didn't know a soul. I didn't know where to start, but you know, you roll up your sleeves and you just start asking questions. And, um, over the course of probably about two years of research, I was so fortunate to be introduced um, to people who, my goodness, people who were 100 plus years of age who actually lived, you know, I, I didn't write the 11 year history of the city. That would be a very, very short book. Mm-hmm. To me, the history of the city is actually the history of the area. Mm-hmm. So we went back to when the area was first settled. Um <clears throat> by Medlocks. They were actually squatters, which I've found interesting. This was um, Creek and Cherokee Indian Territory. So Mm -hmm. you go back that far in history and you learn about the settlers and um, the families that formed. And my gosh, I I was so blessed to meet. It was, it was hard to, to narrow it down to, you know, how do we focus on these families? You don't want the reader to feel like an outsider looking in talk to these families and these people welcomed me with I mean they shared family photos family letters you don't normally find that in a city history book it's usually kind of rubber stamped date place time which is boring I mean that's boring to everybody that's why students hate history Mm -hmm. let's talk about the people and the way they lived and this book I, I I was so blessed I mean the photos that are in this book are genuine organic Family photos, mm. some from, I mean, some were tin types. I had never seen one before. Yeah. Um, so anyway, just, you know, kudos to the city for understanding the value of documenting your history, because we live in an area where history is bulldozed about every 15 years. Yeah, for sure. And That's what Atlanta's some, known for. Yeah. The metro Atlanta's yeah, known for. So many, my gosh, Gwinnett back in mm-hmm. the eighties, it, it was, it was insane, but the, the whole area of metro Atlanta and we have amazing landmarks, um, pieces of history that are lost forever. So in such a progressive city as Peachtree Corners, and we all know that you know technology is their crown jewel, they gave this respectful nod to their history and the families that built the area. So um, what an honor. And I'm going to pat myself on the back here, Georgia Author of the Year yeah. um, for, for this book. And it was, man, it was, it was an amazing project. That's awesome. And, yeah, and that you. award is given by? Georgia Writers Association. Yeah. Yeah. Folks that actually know, they know good writing when they see it, People don't they? People that I say know what they're talking about. <laughs> That's quite an honor. Congratulations Thank on you. that. Thank yeah. you. That, it was, there were a, a couple of women in the city um, who, my goodness, just so much knowledge and so much talent. It was definitely a team effort, but it was, uh, you know, we produced this, my gosh, during COVID. COVID, life is pre and post COVID. And, you know, this book was delayed. The publish, publishing of this book was delayed probably 18 months Mm. by COVID. So I ended up actually having two books published that same year. Thank you, COVID. Yeah. Um, But still blessed to have been able to to have written them. Mm -hmm. Folks, we're here chatting with author, journalist, speaker, Carol Townsend. Uh, Carol, you wrote a book on the Braves move to Cobb County as well. Was that, that book was released that same year? Was that... (laughs) published the same year probably i want to say three months i tell you what this book major league deal was published the week that the braves went to the world series (laughs) and that i promise you that was a complete accident timing is everything right whether whether it's accidental or on purpose right i'll be honest that was sheer accident but Yeah. yeah so why why is that important that move important to document Oh, man. Um, I'm sure any of us who have lived here for any length of time remember 
not hearing a whole lot about this, but seeing this huge construction um, happening over in Cobb County and thinking, what in the world is that? Mm -hmm. And then we had this announcement that, you know, if, if you're a Braves fan, if you understand Atlanta Braves history at all, uh, my father was a huge fan, loved to hate the Braves. Um, moving from Fulton County was just, it was almost like a sacrilegious thing. Like, how on earth could you do that? These are the Atlanta Braves. Mm -hmm. And you and I both know there was a lot of talk about backroom deals and under the table dealings and, you know, shame, shame and crooked politicians. And <clears throat> I think for that and several other reasons, um, actually, the Marietta Daily Journal asked me to write this book. They are kind of the official newspaper for uh, the Atlanta Braves for obvious reasons. And I think they they wanted, A, to tell the story and to share the facts behind it, but they also wanted to honor um, Mr. Tim Lee, who, uh, when all of, these, all of this was being worked out, um, and I believe he was one of the initial people that had the idea, hey, you know, we can offer you something great out here in Cobb, um, he was the um, commission chair mm. in Cobb County. And um, so this this book was a way to honor him, but also a way to tell the story. What what went down? Why this change? What's the biggest surprise people are going to uh, take away from this book, you think? Um, how passionate the Braves organization was about building what they have in Cobb in Fulton. They, they wanted the same thing. They wanted a destination where people weren't, you know, pulling their hair out in horrific Atlanta traffic to hustle to a game, to really not pay attention to the game, try to leave in the sixth inning right. because, oh my gosh, we're going to be fighting all these people on the one road out of here or two roads. And um, so the Braves wanted to create a destination where you could come and spend the day, come and spend the weekend frankly come and spend some money great restaurants great entertainment great bars and of course a great ball team so mm -hmm. um they wanted that and um certain roadblocks um, and others were preventing that from happening mm -hmm. so um very cool story in the book about how, how the deal actually went down um between the key players and I don't know, I don't want to give too much away, but it's just, it's very interesting. And if you love the Braves, if you've even heard of the Braves and you know what a big deal this was, mm -hmm. um, it's an interesting book. Yeah. And again, an honor to be asked to, to write it. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, blood in the soil, let's get to that. Cause we yeah. mentioned that we, we, uh, that, that takes, that's a little, it's nonfiction, mm -hmm. right? But, but, you're going in a different direction there. Right, right. Um, I'm a firm believer that truth is actually stranger than fiction. And I will say. <laughs> this is one story that illustrates <laughs> that, right? You're not kidding. I yeah. mean. Describe that. Just give the, the ba basic outline of the story for people that don't know it. Well, in 1978, um, Hustler publisher Larry Flint was shot. He was on trial in Gwinnett County, actually on misdemeanor charges. Um for um, pornography, for mm -hmm. pub publishing and circulating pornography. And um, if you know anything about Flint, you know he loved to poke the bear, loved to have an audience in front of a judge. He was actually brilliant in using um, the justice system to stand on his uh, First Amendment rights. And like it or not, that's what he was doing. So when he was um, on trial in Gwinnett, he and his attorney that he chose to represent him from Gwinnett County. He had his New York legal team, but he pulled in a guy from Gwinnett because Flint is anything but dumb. And mm -hmm. he knew he needed somebody that knew the lay of the land. Right. That spoke Southern. Yep. <laughs> Southern Baptist. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so he brought in a gentleman, a true gentleman named Gene Reeves. And he and Mr. Reeves became friends. They would walk from the courthouse down to where they, the cafeteria where they had lunch every day. And on the sixth and final day of the trial, both of these gentlemen were shot walking from lunch back to the courthouse. And if you lived here or anywhere around here, you remember that happening. It was kind of like our Kennedy shooting. You just knew where you were. It was mm. such a bizarre circus to begin with. The yeah. media and the celebrities that descended on this little podunk 
Gwinnett County, you know, 38,000 people lived here at the time. Um, why is all of this going on in this little backwoods county, which is the way people viewed Gwinnett at the time? So I remembered that as a kid. I didn't know what Hustler was. I didn't know who Larry Flint was. But I remember the media circus. And as a reporter, 150 years later, <laughs> um, I saw a news blip that the person who shot Larry Flint was put to death in a Missouri prison. And I thought, oh, that's odd. Because we heard that he was shot. We never heard why. We never heard who did it. And we mm. never heard why. So... Being nosy, being a reporter, I um, asked then Gwinnett DA, Danny Porter, you know, can I take a look at the files that Gwinnett County has? And he was very gracious. He said, of course. In fact, he set me up a little office there so I could do my research. And um, the story that unfolded, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. We all assume Flint was shot because he's a brash, obnoxious pornographer, whatever you think about him. We made that assumption. Mm -hmm. That had nothing to do with it. Not a thing. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You going to tell us what it, what it was, or do we have to read the book? Uh, well, you know, of course you have you to read the You want to read the Well, of course we have to read the book. But but it was for reasons that we will all understand. It it, it reveals, um, oh, goodness, the, the, the South in the 60s. Um, it brings to light the climate, the turmoil that gripped this area and, it, you know, that it moved among us unseen, unheard until, um, well, I mean, the facts of the case are, are fascinating. And it was not just that shooting that was part of this campaign. Let's put it that way. Mm. Blood in the Soil yeah, is the I, name of the book. <laughs> yeah, so Blood in the Soil is the name of the book. And that the name of the of the book gets at that right mm -hmm. that there's there's um that this event was a manifestation of something that was uh an undercurrent absolutely absolutely i struggled with the title of this book um i didn't want it to sound like some kind of halloween vampire thing but i i'm born and raised in the south i love the south i've lived in new york i've lived other places um, I love the South, mm -hmm. but I'm I'm not a fool. I, I don't have my head in the sand. This area has a big fat black eye because of it dates back to slavery. Yes, but you know the way we've conducted ourselves since then. It's not pretty. It is the seedy underside of humanity. Mm -hmm. It's it's just hatred and turmoil and pitting brother against brother, and it's um. People misunderstand me. You know, when they read this book, they think, oh, you know, she's from up north. She hates the south. I love this area. Mm -hmm. But I get it. I mean, there is blood in the soil here. And it, yeah. it doesn't have to remain unless we um, keep it there. And, you know, it's interesting you talk about this because, um, I mean, right now we have a lot of conversation about history and what part of history we need to listen to and, you know, what what part is uh, uh, made up or what, whatever people want to say about it. But what I think what you're, you seem to be getting at is um, truth telling about history can be liberating for today. Is that, um, do, do I get that or? You've got that exactly right. And I'll, I'll take it a step further. We ignore it and cover it up and sweep it under the rug at our own peril because mm. without a doubt, History will repeat itself mm -hmm. if we don't stare it in the face and call it what it was. Yeah. I guarantee it will repeat itself. Yeah. Yeah. So the name of the book is Blood in the Soil. Um, and again, you released this book when? 2018, I believe. Okay. And um, finalist for Georgia Author of the Year. Um Boy, better, you, there's better a man beat me out. <laughs> there's a there's a theme here. You've got a lot of awards. I just you know I I love the research and I think if you put factual knowledge into a well spun tale, it's very hard to ignore. Mm -hmm. Easy to read, hard to ignore. That's just my belief, and I, I love the research and the history. Um, but you're not writing to get the awards. You're, you're writing to an audience. I mean, do, so. Do you have like some 
speakers talk about how they pick somebody out of the audience that they're, they speak to and just think about that one person, right? Yeah. Um, it, is that the way it works when you're writing a book? Do, do, do you think about that one person you're writing for? You know, my first two I did because, you know, I was um, writing to women about the, the the trials, the difficulties we face, and we try to do it with grace, and we usually fall flat on our face. And um, I'm just looking at life with humor. And, you know, it might be part of the ADD that you had suggested, but I, I hope that if something interests me, it also interests others. And, you know, you can look for years um, to or a story to tell, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, that is interesting enough to you that you pour your heart and soul into it. And you just have to hope that readers will find it as interesting. And so far, um, you know, knock on wood, that's been the case. So That's terrific. Carol Townsend is with us, folks, author, journalist, speaker, and award winner, award wings, <laughs> <laughs> numerous awards. Um, how has you talked about the yeses that come your way? Um, t- just, let's underline that piece of what we were talking about previously and just talk about how your life has changed oh Be- because of these, what, six now, almost seven. You got one more coming. Oh, number seven in yeah, the hopper. No, okay, mm-hmm. we'll talk more about that in a second. But um, what, how has your life changed because of these, the, your prolific book writing. Oh, goodness. Um, If if, uh, someone who's truly passionate about writing, and I'm going to assume this is true of anything about which we're passionate, if you are able to actually do that, and as a bonus, earn money doing it, um, there's something, there's something that it does for your soul. I I don't mean to sound corny and, and, you know, real chicky here, but there's something it does for your soul. It's we are all here for individual purposes. And if you are fulfilling that purpose, it is incredibly satisfying. Um, My growth as a person, as an individual, I've overcome fears that if you had told me 20 years ago, you know, you'll, you'll be on a, um, a news broadcast or um, I, I, you know, I, I just would have said you were crazy. It's just, that was one of my biggest fears or that I would love speaking, you know, public speaking that's a lot of people's fear, um, but I love it. And I love it because I get to talk about what I love mm-hmm. to people who want to hear about it. Mm. I mean, that's, that's just amazing yeah, to me. Yeah. You can't beat that. Mm. Um, so you've got book number seven in the hopper. I you want to give us a preview? You know, I, um, I can tell you what it's taken me a couple of years. We've moved twice in the past three years during probably the worst time in the history of mankind to buy and sell houses. We did it twice, quite distracting. And my brain just wasn't firing on the cylinders that I needed to, to write. And not now that we're settled and um, again, I'm, I'm going to go back to my childhood and the mystery and the lore that surrounds Lake Lanier. Yes, I know there was just, I think a movie just released Total coincidence, I promise. Um, but you have to face the facts about that lake. Mm. Um, do I believe it's haunted? It, no, but there have been more than 900 deaths in that body of water since they started filling up that 38,000 acres. Mm. Got to wow. be a reason. Yeah. We hear about the numbers from 1994 on. Yeah. But when you go back to, um, well, you know, you're choosing the area, fascinating. The area, uh, Roswell was one of the areas being considered mm. for the location of Lake Lanier, if you can imagine. But they chose where they chose, um, flooded a town called Oscarville. There's, that has its own history. Yeah. You know, we all know flooded buildings, chicken coops, churches, and cemeteries. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that part of the story. And... The rest truly is history. Why? Why is it such a dangerous body of water? They made it very clear when they filled that lake, <clears throat> not for recreational use. <laughs> made it very no, clear. No, nobody's putting a boat in this weekend knows that, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you go up there. We yeah. went to something up at uh, Margaritaville not too long ago, and I was just looking around at the beautiful hotels and golf course and water park, and I'm thinking not for recreational use. Mm. So 
just strange, weird, unexplainable drownings. And I've spoken with people who were nearly drowned, who who had close calls. I've spoken with um, the guys that go down and search for mm-hmm. bodies that have not come up because you really can't drag the lake. There's too much stuff on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, you know, it gets your wheels turning. It's yeah. Yeah. So that's cooking. Oh boy. Yeah. That one. So that'll be my first fiction I've tackled historical fiction. And um, that's been my thing that I, I need to, to stare down and write, but fascinating oh. stuff. Oh yeah. That, that sounds like that's going to be a page turner. Wow. Yeah. I hope so. Okay. So um, as we wrap up here, I, I want to point to another area of work that you do and that's workshops. So talk about, what you're doing on that front and helping others realize they're writing dreams. Yeah. That's one of the favorite things that I do. And it kind of happened organically. Um, I had several people approach me years ago asking if I conduct such workshops. And I said, well, no, but as I thought about it, I thought I've accumulated a lot of knowledge and believe me, I did it the hard way by slamming my head against walls until a brick would finally give because I didn't, um, I don't know that there weren't resources out there, but I didn't know what they were. So I did a lot of really dumb things and had to learn from that. But you don't forget it when you learn that way. And I'll also say you can find writers conferences galore. Mm-hmm. I didn't have $5,000 sitting around to go out to Hawaii and, you know, take some writing classes. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm sure people do because that happens, but I was not one of them. Mm-hmm. So I love taking what I've learned the hard way um, and sharing it with people who have the same passion. A lot of people have a story they want to tell, and a lot of people want to write a book. They don't know where to start, Mm -hmm. and they don't understand that the writing of the book is actually page one of the journey. Then you've got, you know, who's going to publish it? Make those choices. I can tell you about all your options there. Um, how am I going to sell this thing? Because Mm -hmm. believe me, it is up to you. Unless you're Stephen King or John Patterson, you're going to be pounding the pavement, Mm -hmm. telling people who you are and what you've written. And it doesn't have to be scary if you go into it with the knowledge that, okay, this is part of this game. And of course, you're talking to people who have the same passion I do, love Mm -hmm. the written word. Mm -hmm. So that's developed into something that actually... Um, kind of got so big that I couldn't conduct the workshops as often as I was, which was about three times a year. So anytime I get an opportunity to do that or to set one up myself and, and let people know about it, I love it. It's always fun, always fun. And people consistently tell me they walked away with knowledge that they have been able to use. A lot of my students are published authors now. A lot have chosen different careers in writing. Because it's 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 not just about the books. There's you know a lot of ways to communicate with people um, using the written word. Author, journalist, speaker Carol Townsend uh, has been with us, folks. Uh, Carol, this has been just fascinating. I mean, I could keep talking to you for quite a while. Oh, thanks. Yeah, but you you are just what great work you've done. I'm delighted that you took the time to come in and let us celebrate that work. So, um, it's my pleasure. Yeah. So for folks that want to know more about your workshops or your books, um, let's direct them where they can find more about you and your, uh, work and what you're contributing to the world. Oh, well, very easy. It's caroltownsend.com. Carol is spelled with an E on the end. Mm -hmm. Um, you'll see my books, you'll see my blog, you'll see some media clips, just, you know, kind of, a history of the journey and encouragement. I'm hoping encouragement for writers who, who find themselves there. That's great. Carol Townsend, author, journalist, speaker, caroltownsend.com to learn more and to, uh, uh, her, her current books and soon to be released books sometime right. at some, at some point, we'll right? It's soon. It's a long process. Okay. But yeah. Okay. Good. Soon to be written. Let's, yeah. Let's, there you let's, go. Let's pray for that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Uh, Carol, thanks again for coming in. Thank you. My pleasure. Hey, folks, just a quick thought. So while you're writing your book, other things are happening around you and your business. Uh, So those administrative tasks are piling up and your bookkeeping needs to get done. All that work keeps piling up and stealing the joy out of your business if you're trying to do it all yourself. 
my suggestion is to pick up the phone and call the great folks at Office Angels. 678-528-0500 is the number to call. And if you're shy, go to officeangels.us. Yeah, check it out there. But just give them a call um, and tell them I sent you. And I'm highly recommending that because I use their services and they have helped me in my business and I couldn't run my business without them. Um, They've got a whole team of angels that will fly in, get that work done and fly out so you can spend the time on what's important in your business, which are your employees and your customers, which bring in that revenue. So uh, uh, check them out. I think you'll be glad you did. And speaking of books, I'm almost hesitant to bring this up now because I'm not I'm I'm feeling slightly insecure here. But I've got a book coming out later this year. It's called "The Generosity Mindset: A Journey to Business Success by Raising Your Confidence, Value, and Your Prices." Go to thegenerositymindset.com to learn more, to sign up for updates for when that book's coming out. If you're a uh, solo or small firm professional services provider, uh, this book may be for you. Also, I just want to thank you, our listeners. So we have, we have, we're on show number, I think 704. We've got just past uh, the 700 mark. Yes. For our, uh, uh, number of episodes of North Fulton business radio. And we've only gotten this far because of your support. You share the show, you like us on social media, you Uh, share our post and uh, we're grateful for you. Please continue to do that. And when you hear something, uh, a guest here that you love their work, please, please share that out and do that because it helps celebrate the great work of business and community leaders like Carol and the other, some 1100 guests that we've had on this show over the years. And it helps us fulfill our mission to be the voice of business in the North Fulton region. So for my guest, Carol Townsend, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on North Fulton Business Radio.